could, let's say a quick word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this gathering tonight. Thank you for those who are committed enough to come out and hear the message. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach on, on such an amazing topic, Lord, the death of your son. Be with us tonight and allow this word to be anointed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I had a feeling that when James starts using words like good and excellent, I knew there was a punchline of some sort coming. I was just waiting for it. Um, and quick story, and you can't make this stuff up. Anyone who knows us very well knows with as many kids as we have, we just cannot seem to get to church on time. Something that's been a constant battle for years. And tonight, uh, we actually managed to be here about 10 minutes early or so. And as we're getting out of the car, one of them said, how late are we? They just assume. Okay. And I said, well, we're early. And Hope turns around, serious as could be. She's like, what's early? <laughs> Feeling a little bit of shame, but... And you know, it's hard to explain what early is without using the word early, so try it sometime. So as, we, as I prepared for tonight and prayed on, prayed on the lesson on the death of Christ, it occurred to me, thinking about the Easter holiday, it doesn't seem to get, maybe it's just me, but it doesn't seem to get the, the attention, the press of your, your big holidays, Christmas, all oh, the trees and the carols and the lights and the presents, the very commercial side. And even Thanksgiving, you know, there's so much surrounding that. We all look forward to that. Easter just kind of sneaks up. You always hear, is it Easter already? When's Easter again? We don't really seem to know. It doesn't seem to get the attention that the other ones do. And this might just be reaching a little bit, but I wonder if it's because it surrounds so much of the Christian faith, so much about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the death of Jesus is not a popular topic. Even in our churches nowadays, we don't necessarily teach on the death of Jesus. It's not politically correct enough. Some people think that it's anti-Semitic, that it's against the Jews. Um, it's not a positive message. We don't want to hear about that. We want to hear all happiness and joy and healing and prosperity. It's not a popular topic. And I remember years ago, there was an Easter program at the church my dad was, was directing. And part of the narration of the, of the musical said, about the death of Jesus. Surely, if there had been any other way, God would have done it. But this is how it had to be. And basically going on to explain that it had to be this way. There was just no other way. God had to do it. And I always get a little uncomfortable anytime you, someone uses the phrase, God can't. God can pretty much do whatever he wants to do. If God chose to make the rule, okay, everyone who wears purple shirts on Thursday gets into heaven, he could do that. He could make it as, as trivial as he wanted. But I think he had a specific purpose. He had a reason for this. And we're going to go into it, go into some of the reasons. Um, turn, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 17. We're going to get to why I think, and this is just my humble opinion, but why I think that he did it this way. But a lot of the reasons you'll sometimes hear have to do with some of the verses we're going to read. Leviticus 17:11. It says there, he's talking about the sacrifices that God has set up for the Israeli people. 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that make atonement for the soul. And another place in the Bible, and you don't have to turn here, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and you're familiar with this. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. But quite often, these are taught, see, this is why God did it this way, because without blood, there is no remission. But you've got to remember, God made those rules too. He didn't have to say it. It didn't have to be by the blood. But he chose that it would be. I'm getting to a point here, but let's, we'll get to that. These verses are given as the reason. God created the rules. But why? I believe that he was trying to make a point. I believe that he wanted us to take notice. Okay? We'll come back to that. I want to look a little bit about the, the system of sacrifices that God has set up in the Old Testament, because this is what he gave... Hebrew people, 
to be able to bridge the gap between them and him. When there was sin or something that needed to be paid for, some way to bridge the gap between the perfect God and an impure people, he gave them sacrifice. Many different kinds of sacrifices, but every single one of them was for some sort of reason, either for fellowship, for the purity of getting rid of sin. Either way, they were given to bridge the gap to God. Okay? I want to go through some of the characteristics of these sacrifices, and then later we're going to compare these back to, to Jesus on the cross. One of the main things you notice if you go through some of the sacrifices that they are absolutely brutal. I'm not a hunter. I think hunting is a great thing. I'm not a hunter myself. My brother is a deer hunter, and he tried to describe to me one time the, the excitement of the hunt and how he wanted to go deer hunting. He wanted to take me, and I thought it sounded really neat until, until he described what they called field dressing a deer. Okay, If you're familiar with this, it is a very unpleasant thing involving a lot of We'll stop. Unpleasantries. Okay. But I lost interest at that point. I think I would have had somewhat the same reaction if I had been with the Israel people, Israel people having to go through the sacrifices. Rather disgusting, to be honest with you. Here's a verse out of Exodus chapter 29. And this is just an excerpt of many different times it describes the sacrifice. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. So there's this live ram. They're going to kill it. They've got their hands on it. You shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the right tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on their thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. You shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with them. They also go on to describe what you do with certain parts of the animal, taking the entrails and washing them and doing certain things. And it's disgusting. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. This is an awful, brutal, terrible thing. Okay? That's one of the things of sacrifice. So they were brutal. Second point, they were very personal. Personal. It's your sin. It's your need for redemption that causes this sacrifice. And in the rules for the Passover, I read a commentary one time on this. I thought this was a very interesting point, that the lamb that was to be sacrificed for the Passover was to come into the home, living with the kids, living with the family. And after four days, as James has said, a little lamb is an adorable thing. After four days and when living with this lamb, you have to then tell the family, okay, now we're going to sacrifice this lamb. We had a dog one time that was mean. He jumped up. He scratched the kids. He was always trouble. And we didn't even have him that long. And when we got rid of him, the kid, you thought we had just betrayed the kids, you know, sold them into slavery. They were so devastated. They didn't even like this dog that much. Can you imagine you're bringing the little lamb? It's, oh, he's so cute. You know, now we're going to sacrifice this lamb. He made this point to them so that they could see this is costing you something. This is very personal. So they're brutal sacrifices. They're very personal. Next point. They were very specific. The directions for the sacrifices were very detailed. And in chapter after chapter of the Bible, it goes through, okay, during this sacrifice, you'll take this part of the animal and you'll set it on the right side of the altar and you'll burn this and you'll take this and you'll take it outside of the camp and you'll burn that there. And you're allowed to eat this. You're not allowed to eat that. Very specific rules, very specific directions. It seems so almost trivial. Like if I'm an, an, one of the Israelites and we're doing these sacrifices, like why does it matter? I don't know why it mattered, but God gave the direction. He wanted them paying very specific detail. He wanted this to be difficult. He wanted them to take notice. Okay? Turn, if you would, to Leviticus 22. It's going to be in um, verse 19. Next thing that was important, probably one of the most important things about the quality of the sacrifice. It had to be perfect. You could not get the lamb, the, the ram, whatever, that was limping through the, through the fields. You had to search for a perfect sacrifice. In verse 19, you shall offer of your own free will 
Notice that, of your own free will, willing sacrifice. You shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind, or broken, or maimed, or have an ulcer, or eczema, or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. And you shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised, or crushed, or torn, or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Very specific. Even a cut, even a scab, a rash. The sacrifice, the cover for the sins, had to be 100% perfect. God wanted their best. So now that we understand and we see a little bit where God was going with the sacrifices, now let's compare this to the cross. Let's take this back to where the message started and where the message of this season. The very first thing we said, it is brutal. If you've, of course, read the depictions of the crucifixion in the scriptures or seen many of the movie depictions, I went and saw, like it or note like it, I went and saw Passion of the Christ in the movie theaters. And from many of I've heard told describe that doesn't do it justice. That the brutality of that film is not even close to what happened to Christ. That you could not tell that he was a man. I didn't go into that, that movie theater with popcorn and I had a hard time watching and there were times where I just wanted a break. There were times where it's like you were thankful for they do a flashback for whatever reason because you're like, I don't know how much more I can take. And I'm just watching it in a movie theater. The crucifixion of our Lord was not some of these movies from 50 years ago where you see, and yet, yeah, it's kind of rough on him, he gets to the cross and he dies. It was hours of brutality, of being beaten, of being whipped, having the skin ripped off. I had heard of the filming of that movie that one time, if you've seen it, one of the scenes where they're whipping him and the cat of nine tails goes over his back and then rips off the skin. I don't know if it's true or not, but I had heard that they accidentally got past the padding that was on the actor's back and took some of the skin with it. And he only had to bear that one little bit. I'm quite sure at that point he's like, okay, cut, <laughs> let's stop here. Jesus went through it in, in, in reality, in real time. He's going through this pain, going through this suffering by his choice. The crucifixion of Jesus was brutal from the, from the time he was being beaten to the cross where they're ridiculing him, they're stabbing him, spitting on him, they're mocking him. There's nothing pretty about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Like those sacrifices of old, it was brutal. Next, like the other sacrifice, it was personal. To, the, to God, it was personal. This was his son. This was no greater sacrifice he could have made. Jesus, who had been in existence from the beginning of time, who has never not been, who had been his companion. For Jesus himself, giving up perfection in heaven and coming to earth, for them it was very personal. To his friends who watched him die, who had spent this time with them, these three years getting to know him, to his followers who had loved him and hoped that he was the hope of Israel, the one that was going to come in and change to all of them who had followed Jesus and to those of us who will hear of it years later. It was very personal, very painful. Remember we said the sacrifices were very specific. If you read any of the prophecies, Psalm 22 is a great one, and there are other ones. There are so many prophecies that were fulfilled throughout the crucifixion from the time that he showed up in Israel to the way that he died, to the fact that the soldiers came to break his legs because in crucifixions, quite often they would live and live and live, and so at some point they come and they break their legs so that they can no longer breathe, and that way they die. But even that, they didn't have to do that. Fulfilled a prophecy that his bones would not be broken. But it also showed, very specifically, his control. They didn't haul him up there. He went up there voluntarily. He wasn't fighting them. He wasn't being drug off. He went voluntarily. And even on the cross, he decided at the moment that he wanted, within the Father's will, now it's time. 
Now I'll give up my spirit, and it's, and it's finished. And he died. They didn't decide when he died. Even till the very end, he had control, and he had the power. He was very specific. He knew exactly how he was going to die. God had planned exactly how, exactly how the plan of salvation was going to work and how his crucifixion would take place. And the entire time, you know, we picture this, oh, Jesus, he was so beaten and worn and taken up there. He's doing exactly what he planned on. He was in control to a very last detail. And as we read in Leviticus 22, the sacrifice must be perfect. The only sinless man ever in existence. The only one that has never made a mistake, that has never been perfect. He lived the life that he'd like us to live. Not saying that we have to be perfect, but that we should try to attain it, that we should imitate him. He showed us how it was to be done. Even Pilate, the judge, at his trial, at the end, the enemy, even Pilate was coming for the, before the crowds and saying, but I can't find anything wrong with this man. What did he do? Even the enemy knew he was perfect. He did all this, and God did all this as part of his plan to make a point. So why did he make it? By, the, by blood it had to be remission of sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Why is that important? God wanted us to see what sin costs. God wanted us to understand that our imperfections mean something to him. God wanted us to see that the result of sin is ugly, and it's painful, and it's expensive. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, please. We're going to look at the result of this sacrifice. And I know we didn't spend a ton of time actually talking about the death itself. And the enormity of, of, the, of the point of, of the death of Jesus Christ is so big you could speak about it for hours. But the real beauty and the joy that was set before him, the scriptures say, the joy, the choice that he made, the joy that was set before Jesus Christ, sitting in, in the, the upper room having uh, communion with his disciples, I can, it says he was grieved, that he was sorrowful. That doesn't sound like a joyful person. And yet the scriptures say, for the joy that was set before him, not the experience, but what he would accomplish. The amazing miracle, miracle of what he would accomplish in your life, if you'll accept him. In my life, in my kids' life, if we'll pass on the word. The change in nations, the changes in generations that he'll make by his sacrifice. He knew how big it was, what he was about to do. And that was the joy that was set before him. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible, note that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. The point the writer is making is that if these sacrifices were enough, if the sacrifice of animals were enough, then once would be enough. But they had to continually be made because they were continually sinning. And annually and monthly and daily for different sacrifices, there was a constant reminder that you are not perfect. You need salvation. But these sacrifices were pointing to something. They were pointing to the future of what was necessary and what was needed. Let's continue. Verse 8. If you can skip down to verse 8. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, being the initial sacrifices, that he may establish the second, being Jesus' sacrifice. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now note this coming up. And every priest stands... It's important that he's standing, ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. 
We're going to come back to that because that's very important. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has made perfect, or he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I read one time in a commentary that the priest in Jewish culture, while he was on doing his duties, was not allowed to sit down. That was to signify that his work in interceding for the people was never done. But Christ, being the perfect sacrifice, being our perfect priest, what did it say that he did in heaven? But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God because it's finished. It is finished. And that's what he said on the cross. By his sacrifice, by his atonement, by what he paid, the animal sacrifices were no longer necessary. He finished it once and for all. The sins of your past, present, the sins of your future, the ones you haven't even thought of committing yet are paid for. And you spend so much time worrying about these sins. God will never understand me. God will never take me. You don't understand what I've done. God already knew what you were going to do, and he paid for it that day, once and for all. Now, that's not to say that we can take sin lightly. I think by the very message we've seen, God takes sin very seriously and very personally, and he wants us to strive for perfection. That's our goal. But when you fail, not if, but when you fail, understand that it's paid for. Come back to him. A spirit-filled believer, one who has been saved and filled with the spirit of Christ, you're not going to be able to continually sin and get away with it. He's going to call you on the carpet. He's going to discipline. He's going to, through your conscience, through your, your, the Holy Spirit's conviction, he is going to call you on that. So you will have to deal with the sin, but the fact is it's paid for. fact is, by the death of Jesus Christ, it is finished. If the gentlemen can come up who are going to assist with communion while they're coming up, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you for the power in what he did that day. There was a reason that he looked ahead with joy, Lord, because he knew what you would accomplish through his sacrifice. He knew what he was doing for me, what he was doing for those here and all over the world, for all that will hear the message and accept. Thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice and what you're willing to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.